It's going to be a wild ride. It's a difficult lecture. All right, please find your seats. All right. Now I have to say, can I have your attention? Thank you. I have to say that this is a difficult lecture, but not from the material, but it has a lot. It has a lot of details, and you very often think, oh, why should I know the details? Well, as a physician, you are expected to know some details. And here we are, you will see that we, you can look at the same material very different from physiology looks at it different, anatomy, biochemistry. And now we will focus on the biochemistry, how we can look at steroid hormone metabolism. And again, it's not easy. You have to memorize some names, but you can do it. All the other students did well too. All right? So if we talk about steroid hormone metabolism, then before we go there, very shortly we want to look at hormones in general. And they are grouped according their structure, not according their action. So they are grouped according their structure. And we have peptide hormones, it can be peptides or even proteins. And as example, all the time we will talk about insulin and glucagon. Then we have amino acid derived, as you know, and we call them catecholamine hormones, as they have the catechol ring system here, catecholamine hormones. And then last but not least, the thyroid hormones, which need iodine. Finally, we come to the steroid hormones. They are lipids. They are, have a steroid ring system. And we have roughly five classes, glucocorticoids, mineralocorticoids. In the name is already the cortex. So these will be steroid hormones synthesized in the adrenal cortex. Then we have androgens, estrogens, and progestins. Steroid hormones synthesis uses free cholesterol, and it is under hormonal control by peptide hormones, and takes place, and now it's important, only in the following cells of the adrenal cortex, testis, ovaries, corpus luteum. And to say it very, very, very clear, we do all many, all, so many things in the liver, we cannot synthesize steroid hormones from scratch. We don't have desmolase, the side chain cleavage enzyme. We can modify steroid hormones, yes, but the de novo synthesis can happen only in the adrenal cortex, and we form glucocorticoids, mineralocorticoids, and weak androgens. Then in the testes, we will release androgens, and in the ovaries, we will finally release estrogens. And then there is a corpus luteum, as you know, which forms progestins. The big picture, synthesis of all steroid hormones now in the adrenal cortex. So we go away from the testes and ovaries. We focus in the first part on the adrenal cortex is activated by ACTH. You love abbreviations, but it is always nice to say the whole word. ACTH, adrenocortico, adrenal cortex, 
tropic stimulating hormone. So with this, if you look and take the time to read the full name, you know what this hormone does. And it is released by the pituitary gland, and the SCTH release is feedback inhibited by cortisol. Here again, you know this already, but look at it from a different viewpoint. Here's the big picture that I want to show, steroids of the adrenal cortex. We have cholesterol, which has 27 carbons. Normally, we don't count carbons. When it comes to steroid hormones, we do. <coughs> and you see I form pregnenolone with 21 carbons. So this is the side chain cleavage enzyme, or desmolase, or CYP11A. You will have to learn all three names, as they could all show up. And from pregnenolone, you go to progesterone, and there you can reach out to aldosterone, cortisol, androstenedione. Now, the weak androgen, you see, has now a change in carbons, 19 carbons. So whenever you have C19, it's an androgen. It can be a weak androgen or testosterone, a strong androgen. One thing I want to point out, from pregnenolone, you can also come to weak androgens, not only from progesterone. This is not shown in your book, but it can be is important later when we have congenital adrenal hyperplasias. So you can come from pregnenolone or maybe mainly from progesterone to weak androgens. So in which zona of the adrenal cortex are the respective steroid hormones synthesized? The zona glomerulosa, shown here in green, you have mainly aldosterone. And aldosterone synthesis is activated by, mainly by angiotensin II, not by ACTH. By AC, angiotensin II regulates aldo, uh, mainly aldosterone synthesis, and we have receptor in the zona glomerulosa. Zona fasciculata has mainly cortisol and some androgens, and the reticularis mainly weak androgens. Sometimes you see in the zona fasciculata only cortisol, but we have some androgens there. And if you have a, tum a tumor in the zona fasciculata, you have increased cortisol and increased androgen. And that's why you see hirsutism in, uh, in a disease. All right, now synthesis and function of aldosterone, mostly we leave that to physio, but we want shortly look at it. The zona glomerulosa has receptors for ACTH and also for angiotensin II. And when do we form this? It's formed at decreased blood pressure and stimulates aldosterone synthesis. Let's shortly look here. Blood pressure falls, stimulation of renin release, Angiotensinogen is changed to angiotensin 1. ACE forms angiotensin 2. And that is the hormone that has the receptor here, adrenal cortis in the zona glomerulosa, and stimulates aldosterone synthesis. Here comes the aldosterone, and the aldosterone has now the action on the kidney. 
and stimulate sodium ion reuptake and potassium ion secretion. Are you fine with that? That is what you have talked already about in physio, but it's always good. To, these are very, very important concepts, especially for you as practicing physician later. What is the synthesis and function of cortisol? Well, first of all, I want to point out that, and you know that already, but I want to rub that in again. The brain controls cortisol synthesis without flight and fight situations. So the brain controls cortisol synthesis and the hypothalamus, uh, hypothalamus releases CRH in a circadian cycle. And the blood levels of cortisol are highest in the morning. This will be later on important for you in uh, uh, drug treatment. And stress activates CRH and ACTH release and increases cortisol release into the blood, in addition to the circadian rhythm. Cortisol has a metabolic effect on the liver, long-term gluconeogenesis by enzyme induction, more synthesis of pepcarboxykinase. You will come very soon into all the pathways, and then that will be mentioned again. Fat tissue, you have degradation of triacylglycerols, tags, and release of free fatty acids into the blood. Skeletal muscle degradation of muscle proteins, and the amino acids are then released into the blood from the muscle, and via the blood, the amino acids, especially alanine, will reach the liver and can be used for gluconeogenesis. Very important for survival and uh, keeping up with the glucose metabolism. And last but not least, modulation of the inflammatory response. As you know that the inhibition of phospholipase A2 uh, is performed by cortisol. And then we cannot synthesize icosanoids. We have, I have here a cartoon of cortisol synthesis, and um, in the next slide you find it also in words, what I try to say here, and so I would encourage you to stay here now, listen and see where we go, and then after lecture read the description again to have it clear. So cortisol synthesis needs cholesterol in the uh, mitochondria, but we store cholesterol in cholesterol esters in the cytosol. Where does the cholesterol come from? We have uh, HDL binding to SRB1 in the adrenal cortex. We have LDL receptors, and we can synthesize de novo if enough comes in, and then we store it as cholesterol esters. Now, if we want to synthesize uh, steroid hormones, we have ACTH acting, as I said, as a receptor, and cyclic AMP messenger system is used, and protein kinase A is activated. Protein kinase is an enzyme that phosphorylates proteins. A stands for cyclic AMP-dependent. That is not AMP kinase. That's a different enzyme. So protein kinase A is the one related to the cyclic AMP messenger system, and it is active. It activates cholesterol esterase, which will cleave cholesterol ester to free cholesterol, 
And protein kinase A also activates STAR, which is a protein that will transport free cholesterol into the mitochondria matrix. So these two are activated by protein kinase A. What happens then to the cholesterol? The first enzyme is the side chain cleavage enzyme, and we call that the rate limiting step, and STAR is performing the uh, control step, the regulatory step. That sounds pretty similar, and actually it is pretty similar, but these functions are there. So the first one, if STAR doesn't bring it in, and that is under hormonal control, then desmolase wouldn't have a substrate and could not cleave the side chain. Then we have all kinds of enzymes that are cytochrome P450s, and not all of them are, but the majority is, and then eventually cortisol is released into the blood. So we come into the uh, mitochondria matrix, then we have some reaction on the endoplasmic reticulum, which we mostly in biochem just call cytosol, and then it goes back into mitochondria, and the final step is done there, and then it is released. Are you with me so far? So please take the time and read and go through this. This is a very nice picture that has it all in one. Now desmolase forms in mitochondria, a molecule that you should know, pregnenolone. You will have to memorize some of the uh, names, definitely then later the enzyme names. And desmolase is also known side chain cleavage enzyme as it cleaves, as you see here, cholesterol to a molecule that has 21 carbons. And it's also named CYP11A. That is this new wrinkle. Never was there and is very confusing. So if you CYP11A, think about is A means the first one that does the job on cholesterol. Yeah, as we will have later as CYP11B. And these are different enzymes. Cype, I don't know why they had to name it that way. But very often, you, and if you are also in clinicals or in exam questions, we talk about side chain cleavage enzyme or desmolase. Here's a clicker question. Please go ahead, and I give you 90 seconds, so you have enough time to read it. You can talk to each other, and what I would uh, encourage is tell yourself why something is correct and why something is incorrect.
All right. There's a little typo. I mean, NC star is activated by protein kinase A. All right. All righty. Okay. Star is activated by protein kinase A. And star does not activate cholesterol esterase. What activates cholesterol esterase? Protein kinase A. Protein kinase A activates cholesterol esterase and star. Uh, star does not inhibit cholesterol synthesis. What does it do? It transports free cholesterol into mitochondria. And star forms cortisol in cytosol. No, it just transports free cholesterol. And star is needed for cholesterol transport into cytosol. No, cholesterol into mitochondria. If you didn't get this right, don't worry. It's always difficult. We have to see, make it now. Do I make it very easy? as it's the first time you are here and having this material, or do I make it a little bit challenging that you learn something about it? It's hard, so if it was too difficult, please forgive me, okay? All right. No, it's, you, you see the problem that we have. I, in this, I cannot make it really difficult, but I cannot make it too easy, then it's a waste of your time, okay? All righty, now let's go continue. You did very well, and there's an... The other one that's coming up is more difficult. So let's stay positive, okay? I warn you, it's, it, it's not the material, and you can easily handle it. it. You only have to go over the threshold and say, yes, I learned these strange names, and then you are fine. So enzyme for cortisol synthesis, you have to know in the zona fasciculata, we said cortisol is synthesized. You have cholesterol is changed to pregnenolone, and that is CYP11A, the first enzyme that is shown here, or desmolase or side chain cleavage enzyme. And then from pregnen uh, pregnenolone, we form progesterone, and that enzyme is 3-beta-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase. Sometimes that beta is not mentioned. So if, if it is only 3-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase, that is then also uh, the enzyme. Then we have progesterone. And then we have here in different colors, three cytochrome P450 that I want you to know very well. The first one that acts on progesterone is CYP11, or uh, I'm sorry, CYP17. And it is also called 17-hydroxylase. So it starts out with a lower number, then goes to CYP21, 21-hydroxylase, and then it goes back to 11, but it is the 11B, is the 11-beta-hydroxylase. And then we have metacortisol. Looks so easy, right? Why do I, you have to know these enzyme names? Well, they are, one of them is deficient when we have congenital adrenal hyperplasia. 
Congenital, I want you to learn the concept first. Con the concept is I cannot make cortisol. And the cortisol was feedback inhibitor for ACTH release. And if I cannot make cortisol, then ACTH release is not feed inhib uh, feedback inhibited. And you remember the name, adenocorticotropic hormone. Stimulate, stimulate, stimulates the adrenal cortex. But you, if you cannot make cortisol, then you can make other uh, steroid hormones from the cortex that are not now out of the normal regulation. So, CYP17, CYP21, CYP11B. One of them is deficient or 3-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase. That is very, very rare, and we talk about that case. Mostly you are asked for these uh, cytochrome P450s. The side chain cleavage here uh, does not seem to uh, be possible with life. It's very, very rare, and we don't even... Uh, see that. But 3-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase is found very confusing when it comes to the uh, weak androgens, and we talk about it, but I think you get the idea. Learn the enzyme names. And if I have uh, CYP17, I hydroxylate. 17 hydroxylase. So I have a molecule that is 17 hydroxy something. And then I act with CYP21 of it. And then I have a molecule that has 21-hydroxy something. Yeah? We don't go into the individual names, but that is the big outlook uh, and concept. Now, if we have adrenal androgen synthesis, we share the first steps. We have the side chain cleavage to pregnenolone, we have 3-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase to a progesterone. But then we are, for cortisol synthesis, you remember you need CYP17. But here we only need CYP17 to branch out and not the other enzymes. And we make DHEA and androstenedione, which are, can already come from pregnenolone. So CYP17 leads to androgens. Weak androgens. Now, what happens to these weak androgens from the uh, when they are released into the blood? These weak androgens, and we call them just DHEA, dehydroepiandrosterone. Nobody says that whole name, well, maybe, but I don't. And androstenedione released from the adrenal cortex. They are released into the blood and can be now changed. So again, I said we can change steroid hormones, but de novo only in the adrenal cortis, uh, testis, ovaries, and corpus luteum. Now what happens from these uh, weak androgens if they are taken up in extra adrenal tissues and other tissues, I can make the stronger testosterone from there. But I also can, and I was very, very surprised when I learned about it, but it makes sense, I can make estrogens, but where? In fat tissue. Fat tissue is not just the storage form for triacylglycerols. So here in males, it was always the question, uh, 
we, we always have, everybody has a mix of uh, androgens and estrogens. Now definitely the androgens in females come from the adrenal cortex. We have just said that we have weak androgens there and they can be made to testosterone and other tissues. But how do males get estrogens? And here if you have these weak androgens going into fat tissue, then you make estrogen. So that's where that estrogen comes from. Are you with me so far? Good. Now we come to aldosterone synthesis, uh, that is in the zona glomerulosa. We share side chain cleavage enzymes, CYP11A. We make pregnenolon. We share 3-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase, make progesterone. And we do not need CYP17. See, there is no purple here. We do not need CYP17. We need, however, CYP21, which we also need for cortisol synthesis. And then we have the oxycorticosterone, and then we need CYP11B, also what we need for cortisol synthesis. So learn that very clearly, and then compare it. And then we have aldosterone. And this step is stimulated by angiotensin II. The first steps here, of course, all by ACTH. But for aldosterone synthesis, it's special. Angiotensin II regulates the last step uh, and catalyzed by CYP11B. We have congenital adrenal hyperplasia. As you know, congenital existing at birth. Hyperplasias here increase cell production in normal tissue. And it's autosomal recessive disorder. And it has different onset of clinical manif uh, manifestations and different age group too. Sometimes the, I mean, it sets the, the clinical features show up later. For example, if a child, a male child, has uh, too much testosterone, that might only show up a little bit a uh, later when he has early virilization. So that uh, does not show up necessarily at birth. However, if a female child has too much testosterone, that leads at birth to ambiguous uh, genitalia. So. From the biochemistry part, in all cases, as I pointed out already, one of the enzymes of cortisol synthesis is deficient. And that means all your patients will have hypoglycemia in fasting. Yeah, as we don't have the cortisol, and we said in fasting, when the liver does gluconeogenesis, we need cortisol to stimulate it and help with gluconeogenesis. Glucagon does the main job, but cortisol is needed for long-term gluconeogenesis and leads to the synthesis of a key enzyme. So they have hypoglycemia in fasting, and as we don't have cortisol to inhibit ACTH release efficiently, we have that the feedback inhibition is not performed. And the low cortisol levels now lead to overstimulation. ECTH stimulates, 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 and is not controlled by uh, cortisol. And if 
I said it's one of the enzymes, 3-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase, CYP17, CYP21, CYP11B. If that enzyme is not needed for the synthesis of another molecule, like I talked about CYP17 is not needed for aldosterone synthesis, then aldosterone synthesis will be not even normal but stimulated. Yeah? So then it flows into those pathways. So let's go to the CAHs, congenital adrenal hyperplasias. Start out with three hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase deficiency. And here is the enzyme, and you see what happens from pregnenolone. You cannot make or make less progesterone. You will have less aldosterone, less cortisol. But as I said, there is a sideway from pregnenolone to DHEA to the weak androgens. That is not shown in your book, but it is there. Now, the rare deficiencies, very rare, leads to severe deficiency of all mineralocorticoids and glucocorticoids and salts excretion in the urine. That's where you see it. But thank God it's a very rare disease. And now when you see in your book, that is only one description that can happen. We have a large clinical variability of ambiguous genitalia. And that results from the stimulated synthesis of weak adrenal androgens. But at the same time, this 3-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase, as we will see in a minute, is also needed for testosterone synthesis and for estradiol synthesis in the testes and ovaries. So when that hap lacks there, then you have less. So it is a large variety, and you can have male newborns. They might have male normal uh, genitalia or female-like genitalia, the external genitalia. And female newborns may have female or male-like genitalia. So when you have ever, if you have ruled everything else out, and it should be 3-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase, don't rely necessarily on the ambiguous genitalia. Rely on severe deficiency of all mineralocorticoids, glucocorticoids, and self-excretion. Yeah, are you with me so far? Now, if we have CYP17 deficiency, that's much easier. You have here cholesterol synthesis, and we said CYP17 deficiency leads to low cortisol, and CYP17 was needed to make the weak androgens. So this CYP17 deficiency also affects the sex hormone synthesis and testes and ovaries, and it can lead to external female-like genitalia in male and females in the newborns as you don't have the testosterones or weak androgens. But what happens now? I have hypertension. As I said, aldosterone synthesis is not inhibited as it doesn't need CYP17. It never used it. And if I have CYP17 deficiency, I cannot make cortisol, I cannot make androgens, 
but it was not needed, so I can make aldosterone. But now that I have congenital adrenal hyperplasia, the ACT8 bombarding the adrenal cortex, synthesize, synthesize, now I have more than normal. It's not regulated, it's more than normal, and I have hypertension. So if you see hypertension, low sex hormones, low blood glucose levels, that is CYP17 deficiency. Hypertension, that definitely is correct. Now in the first part here, when we have this happening, ACTH stimulates the synthesis of aldosterone. Now once that is really high, it is acting and renin is, uh, uh, renin is not released and low renin leads now to the less synthesis of aldosterone. So you go back to that part. I have the regulation. CYP11B was mainly activated by renin, under control of renin. If I have high aldosterone levels, I will have low renin, and that shows up. So it's a transition. In the very beginning, I'm here progesterone, I shift everything down to aldosterone. And then the last step, 11B, is, not, is actually inhibited. So as I shift everything over, I have now high levels of deoxycorticosterone. You see this? You see that? And sometimes in description that the patient has high deoxycorticosterone levels and not high aldosterone levels. But that depends when you look at it. In the very beginning, there will be high aldosterone. Then this loop shuts off, and then I have still the ACTH activation, and I have a lot of deoxycorticosterone. That's a little bit difficult to understand. I hope that in your exam questions, you will find hypertension. That definitely is good, no matter where it comes from. Are you with me so far? Okay, if you have questions, you always can email me. And now the most common CAH is CYP21 deficiency that is characterized by hypotension. And you have here cholesterol, pregnenolone, progesterone, and as you, you have low aldosterone, low cortisol as the 21 CYP21 is not only needed for cortisol synthesis, but also for aldosterone synthesis. But which pathway does not need CYP21? The weak androgens. So you have still the stimulation. These pathways cannot go. It flows over into the HEA and androstane dion, which are released into the blood. And there they are picked up and we make testosterone and extra adrenal tissue. So this is very common. We have hypotension and actually a possible what we call salt crisis in medicine. Aldosterone and cortisol are virtually absent in the classic form. Here again, you get already an idea once you come to Pathology, you have the different forms, the classic form, and early onset, late onset, it gets much more difficult. So if you learn it here now, you have a good 
background to adjust to these uh, additions. So the infants can be critically ill by two weeks of age and can be it can be fatal uh, if not treated. So it's severe. You have ambiguous male-like genitalia in female newborns. Uh, milder CYP21 deficiency leads to a virilization of females later in childhood. Here again, you have different forms, classic forms, strong, and so forth. And the genitalia in male newborns appear normal, virilization in early childhood. So CYP21 deficiency, very common. And I have a clicker question for that, but that will come after this one. So I tricked myself with that. CYP 11B deficiency, very rare. Cholesterol, cholesterol, pregnenolone, progesterone, and we have CYP 21 still working, but CYP 11B is not working. And now we have deoxycorticosterone high, but aldosterone definitely is low, and we have mild hypertension. It's not this uh, like the other situation where I had first high aldosterone, and as a follow-up, deoxycorticosterone high. This is a mild hypertension uh, possible. And here we have overproduction of... Uh, androgens, so it can lead to male-like external genitalia in females and to early virilization in males. I hope that this brings it all together now from the biochemical standpoint and brings all the other lectures that you had together and makes it more uh, rounded. So now I have my clicker question. Please discuss it and discuss the STEM. All right. All right. So 3-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase, if that enzyme is 
mentioned, you would not be able to make 17-alpha-hydroxy progesterone. If you have a 17-hydroxy whatever molecule, you have CYP17 acting on it. So CYP17 would acting as it is 17-hydroxylase, and you're accumulating 7-alpha-hydroxy progesterone. This was not an easy question, so, but I think it helps with the understanding. If I have 7-hydroxy accumulating, what is the next enzyme that should act on it? CYP21, and that is the right answer. And 11-B-hydroxylase, uh, then we would not have an accumulation of 17-hydroxyprogesterone. Uh, then it would go down and 11-A-desmolase and all. So I want you to realize, first of all, when you look baby boy, following clinical presentation, very low blood glucose level, and that means one of the enzymes is deficient, and I show them here all. Desmolase, however, is mostly never deficient. Low blood pressure and normal external genitalia. If it would be a girl, that would look different, right? As you have overstimulation of an androgens. But in the boy, in the baby boy, it does not show. So you don't have to find that the baby has an enlarged penis or something like that. That is not necessary there. It can show up later in life, a little bit later in the first years as an infant, or a little bit later. So are you all right with me? Okay, most common? All right, very good. And I hope that you use those also, these questions, to learn something and, and realize these are the question types that can show up. You have to learn the enzymes. You have to know where they are, which acts after which, and the diseases. So now we come, go away from the adrenal cortex, and we talk about testis and male sex hormones. And you have had plenty of information. You know the lytic cells uh, in the human testicle have receptor for the luteinizing hormone which activates the synthesis of testosterone. And this pathway is pretty similar like in the adrenal cortex, only that we end up here with testosterone. Now, testosterone and other androgens are released and can be taken up by Sertoli cells, as you know, or be distributed in the blood. Now, what is important there? If I have, especially in the Sertoli cells, I have an enzyme that is called 5-alpha-reductase that is very, very commonly tested, especially later in pathology. And this testosterone is changed now to dihydrotestosterone, which is much more active and is much more potent testosterone. Now, if I talk only shortly now about ovaries and female sex hormones, I can say that the theca cell, cells here in pink, they have receptors for luteinizing hormone. And you here again, you see cyclic AMP messenger system activates PKA, leads to cholesterol transport, 
by store of free cholesterol into the mitochondria, and we synthesize androstenedione, and CYP17 is an important enzyme to do that. Now these androgens are released, and you have just here sitting the granulosa cells, and here you have uh, the change from androgens to estrogens by an enzyme that is called aromatase. You have talked about it in physio. Here you look at it again. And here we are interested in the structure of estrogen. As when I saw that, it's always rubbed in. It has an aromatic ring system here. Estradiol, estrogens have an aromatic ring. Okay, so what's so special about it, right? But if you have testosterone and all the other steroid hormones and look at it to the side like this, and if you make an aromatic ring, it flips up. Yeah, I try to show this here. Here's from the side. You have your testosterone. It's, it's, it's an equal thing. And if you make the aromatic ring, then it flops up. And that is in needed for receptor con uh, recognition. So this aromatic ring, if it is not formed, then the the receptor is misled and cannot recognize estradiol. Now that is, of course, uh, by an enzyme that you should know now, aromatase, not so aromatic ring, but you should know it's type 19. So we have here a new cytochrome P450 that is important for you as physician. Why? Well, we know that the treatment of estrogen-responsive breast cancer can include drugs that inhibit this enzyme. Here, number two, inhibits aromatase. And that's competitive or suicide inhibitor drugs that are on the market. And then you are interfering with estrogen binding. Or you can interfere with estrogen receptor binding with tamoxifen. So this is important for you. It's just the structural change of an aromatic ring. But if you interfere with that and if you inhibit that by drugs that are available now, the demand was as tamoxifen after several years, it does not work so much anymore. So the aromatase inhibitor research is in high progress. Are you with me so far? Okay. Cushing syndromes only very short. You have plenty. Uh, you have talked about it. Hypercortisolism, tumor in the zona fasciculata, and here you have release of cortisol and androgens in high quantity, or you have an ACTH-producing pituitary tumor, which then we call Cushing's disease, or you find it in patients that have prolonged administration of high doses of corticosteroids. Here you have seen patients with that, and I want you to look at that. Definitely characteristic fat distribution, increased fat and in upper body, fatty hump between the shoulders, and red round face. It seems, and I want now from the biochemistry part, I always wondered why. As you see, cortisol leads to degradation of tags in fat cells. And in other parts of the body, cortisol attacks the fat cells and they release the free fatty acids. 
but cortisol does not act equally on all the receptors. And it seems that cortisol cannot act on the tags that are in fat cells that are in these uh, body parts, and that leads to the characteristic fat distribution. You have thin arms and legs, as cortisol also stimulates muscle protein degradation. You have elevated blood glucose. It stimulates gluconeogenesis. You have reduced inflammatory response, and you have hirsutism. Edison's disease, on the other hand, if we talk about primary adrenal insufficiency, and you have atrophy of the adrenal cortex, you know it's autoimmune destruction or by tumors or infections like HIV, tuberculosis, and fungi. You have low levels of cortisol, so you have hypoglycemia during prolonged gluconeogenesis and high levels of ACTH. But these high ACTH levels, they would like to stimulate the adrenal cortex, but they cannot as you have an atrophy of the adrenal cortex. So that's the difference to a congenital adrenal hyperplasia. And you have low levels of aldosterone that show, leads to low blood pressure and low sodium level, high potassium levels, and salt craving. I have here a patient, and I have here another mark, the Bronx pigmentation of skin and gum line. That is a key word that shows up, and it is lack of cortisol, increased synthesis of corticotropin-releasing hormone. And you see you increase uh, synthesis of a precursor protein, POMC, and that is cleaved to ACTH and now melanocyte-stimulating hormone. That's why you have the pigmentation. You have too much melanocyte-stimulating hormone. Failure to thrive, weight loss, muscle weakness, and salt craving, and abdominal pain. You have talked about that, and as the last part, don't worry, we are not saying here overnight. I'm not reading that to you. I did this, and I made a table for you, encouraging you to make your own tables. All right? Thank you very much. Please have a good day. Thank you.